This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Bruder, Shining Donut 911, Nathan, Jennifer with a PH, Joey, Mr. Rage Bomb, Sneaky Snake, Wes, Dreskel, Kaylee, Aaron, Danielle, the number Jeff, Amy, Tia, Matthew, Dave, Jonathan, Scott, Kate, Isaac, Karun, and Nick B. And all the patrons want you to know you're loved, you're listened to, and you're a valuable member of this awesome horror virgin community. If you want to hang out with us and, I don't know, maybe like figure out what would be on the menu at Uncle Baby Billy's Ruth's Chris Gaines fucking restaurant or whatever we came up with in the Facebook group the other day. Join the Facebook group. That's where we hang out and have a good time. And also the Discord server. Check it out. It sounds like a bonkers ad for the Facebook It is a bonkers ad like, for the Facebook that does group. Not make it, if you did not listen last week, like no one's going to know what you're talking that about. That is true. But guys, go back and listen to the Ganjiyama episode. It's fucking awesome. Alright, laugh line. You guys ready? Always ready. I'm ready to make Paige laugh. Okay. Paige, did you hear that Justin Timberlake got drafted into the Ukrainian war? No, I did not hear that. He got stationed at the Crimea River. (laughs) (laughs) I'm worried about all this terrible stuff on the news distracting us from, like, the real thing that's going on behind the scenes, the thing that we all really should be worrying about, and that's Courtney Cox's bangs. this fucking movie <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> the ha- it looks like the haircut of like my least favorite aunt's dog it does look like a dog haircut like she went to a groomer's and was like give me the petulant yorkie <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to break into you know human styling at, in hollywood but like what, what was my last job it was animal styling in hollywood <laughs> if it was animal style she would have had like onions and cheese <laughs> and thousand island sauce all over her head that's a joke only for the West Coast, but I am oh. here for it. I want you to cut my bangs like you can't stop sneezing. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin, Todd, which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. And this week, you guys made me watch Scream, Scream 3. 3. So was this the first time either of you had seen this movie before? This was my first time. I saw it when it came out. Oh, did and you? And I nice. hated it then, and I still hate it now. <laughs> I don't remember Scream 4 <laughs> or 5, but I gotta go ahead and say, I think this is my least favorite one. That's wild. Okay, that's. I mean, that's fair. This is the first time I had seen it, too, and it's by far my favorite one. But I think it's because it is by far the worst one I've seen, but it's, like, comically bad, and I loved it so much. And I just watched the new one. Oh, is it good? And it, it was good? like really good. Oh, oh <laughs> shit. All right. Watching this afterwards, I was like, oh. Oh, no. <laughs> this was the first time I had seen it. And I, ha- I actually hadn't seen Scream 2, so I had to go watch Scream 2. So this oh, made shit. sense. You watched both of them? Yeah, I'd nice. seen the original Scream. Because here's the thing. The original Scream is a fucking classic. Yeah, like No one yeah. can argue with that. It is a classic. But I feel the same way about it that I do Ghostbusters, where I'm just like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, I'm glad you guys like that. <laughs> I Like, I know it's good. I don't have complaints about it as a franchise. It's just not my personal franchise. So this was the first time I had to watch the sequels. And two... I don't love two, but it's way better than three. It is. As far as like a well-made movie, two is way better than three. And that's the reason I like three better. Because three is full of like plot holes and things that don't make sense. Parker Posey walking around like she's in a cartoon and everyone else being like straight laced. In our group text today, I I made the comment that Parker Posey is in Christopher Guest directs screen three. Yeah. (laughs) Like that that's how crazy she is in this movie. I think my frustration 
is Scream is always meta. Like that's yes. Scream's thing. Which I like about it. I think that's cool. I It's hit or miss for me because I like some of my horror comedies a little more subtle or a little more integrated yeah. into the story. But I also, again, the first one's a classic and it's a classic because of that and it works really well because of that. Yeah. In the same way that I feel like Cabin in the Woods works really well because of that meta relationship with the source material. Sure. And I feel like the second one does a good job of like, marrying the idea of sequels with what they're going through and then this one just goes off the fucking rails yeah this movie is goofy as fuck holy shit it's too meta it's like it's they're like being meta about meta. meta and i was just like i hate this. i hate it well and okay and this is <laughs> and like i think sydney the character knew and that's why she like stayed away most of the movie she was in witness protection from this movie like she was yeah. trying to hide from it <laughs> she's like oh my scenes are like more serious than the rest of the movie would you believe that most of the scenes in this movie were written the day they were filmed yes Paige. i would believe that i would believe yeah. you if you told me that they made it up as they went along that's basically what happened uh, we'll talk about it in fun facts which by the way i love i'm here for it it was amazing patrick dempsey is now on my top 10 list of worst law enforcement horror film people <laughs> i've ever seen okay here's my frustration <laughs> Is I had completely predicted the entire storyline with him instead of Scott Foley, and it made more sense. And then at the end, it was Scott Foley. And I was like, that's physically impossible based on what we've seen in the film. Yeah. Only to find out that they had written Patrick Dempsey's character, forgot that they had put him in the movie, like, and then <laughs> had to rewrite him into the third act. And I'm like, what do you mean you forgot he was in the movie? You set him up to be the killer. Like, what the fuck? I hear fuck? the same thing happened to Patrick Dempsey in uh, Can't Buy Me Love. They completely forgot that he was in it. Yeah. Absolutely they had to change the, the ending altogether. Yeah. Oh, McDreamy who? I'm going to make you guys do that on Romance in the Pod because it is Terrible. I'm gonna have yeah. I was gonna say I'm gonna have nothing nice to say no, about and it. Paige, I don't want you to say anything nice. It doesn't deserve any nice things to be said about it. I haven't seen it in a while. I'll approach it with an open mind. Uh, Mikey, <laughs> I, I have seen it as an adult, and I can tell you, it's Cruel Intentions part. Yeah, two. I haven't seen it as an adult, but I remember it being terrible. We're getting off track. So he's like. Gail Weathers, help me solve this crime? And I was like, what? This yeah, from Jump Street, they call a reporter to help them solve a crime. Mikey, you work with police. Does that happen often? No. In fact, <laughs> no one calls reporters to solve crimes. But I mean, I guess they can. It's a true crime. It's a complicated issue. It's a complicated relationship. I get that. But you definitely don't bring them to crime scenes and then no. like pull a gun because the killer might be there kind of situation. <laughs> Scooby-Doo. <laughs> can't believe I didn't look this up until now uh, because it, I, I was struggling with it the entire movie. And it's probably just because I watched Scream 2 to make sure I could understand Scream 3. Stab, the film. Yeah within a movie yes is introduced in scream 2 that's where yes it is uh jada pinkett and omar Epps yeah. get killed but then in this movie we're doing stab three what happened to stab two it came out in between scream two and scream three okay but like what happens in that one because if we're going by the idea that the stab movies mirror the crimes stab in scream two mirrors the crimes of the first movie but then we don't know anything about about stab two but then stab three in this movie is mirroring the events in this movie 
what the fuck is Stab 2 about? No, Stab 3's going back to Woodsboro. Yeah, if that was the case, then Stab 3 would be about the college they were at, that Stab 2 took uh, place Stab at. 2 would be about but the college. But that's not where those sets are. Yeah, the sets are back at Woodsboro. Yeah, I think the Stab series just deviates from real life after the first one. Ironically, the Scream remake is back to Woodsboro. I mean, oh, like, really? pretty much Stab well, 3. But here, here's my thing, though, is that this movie, a whole huge plot point in the beginning of this movie that they completely abandoned halfway through the making of stab three is that this movie what we are experiencing as the audience is following stab three yeah which would imply that your movies are one-to-one but then there seems to be no knowledge of a stab two about the college kids in the movie before the movie before is referencing stab one so we should be like a movie behind like this movie should be about stabbed it drove me nuts the entire fucking time. I love time. that this is what bothers you the most of this movie because I didn't even think about it at all. This movie made it a plot point for the first Well, they act. made it a plot point that, it, that he's following the script of Stab 3, but like that has nothing to do with Stab 2. Like, it does It's like... Well, no, but it kind of does because we're in Scream 3. So like no. how... <laughs> You're really hung up on numbers, Paige. Yeah. Paige, it's not the Hear same. Hear me out. I, I get that it's not the same, but... But we have in this series established that essentially bad shit happens and they make a stab movie after it. That's what we're establishing. You mean in the first Scream? Yes, that is what happens. Yes, yes that's what no, happens. Scream 2, that's what happens. It's oh, in Scream yes. 2. It's Sorry. not in Scream 1. That's right. But it's its, a, it's, its own franchise is what they're saying because it goes on to make they go they have eight parts by the last Scream. OK, fine. But my frustration is we're spending half a movie in one. Like, they've made it a part of it, and if we're following the, what they set up in Scream 2, we should always be one movie behind. I don't think that that's set up anywhere I, in the franchise, Paige. Yeah, your, your commentary's almost I, too meta now. I don't, I, I don't even know. The movie made it this way! It was wrecking my damn head! Because I'm just like, okay, so we're making this movie. But then Paige, this, this they movie invent is just a like... a whole backstory, and then, like, bring Jamie Kennedy in to just be like, we can oh, just make don't shit Don't even up. get me fucking started where his sister just shows up in the middle of a movie set like, how'd you get here? Don't even worry about it. I just showed up when I was useful. Bye. Paige, she doesn't just show up, Paige. She comes out of a trailer on a yeah, movie exactly. set. exactly. On a With movie no set. explanation. And that trailer no. was empty. Why was she in there? How did she know they she, were walking by? Like, there's no answers to these questions, but nine. I love that we have them. So she Ugh. shows that videotape that basically is like, Hey, this movie's not going to make any sense, but because we showed this scene that we got Jamie Kennedy to record, you're not going to care. We're going to reinvent the first film, and it's not going to make any sense. Yep. Buckle well, up. And the, like, this sounds terrible. <laughs> that bothered me. For a hot second, when they bring that videotape in to be like, these are the rules about threequels or, or trilogies or whatever. Yeah, trilogies. That's parts of the movie that I love of the first one and whatever, where it's like, here are the rules. Oh, I do too. And hearing the rules about the trilogy, I'm like, that's awesome. And then fucking none of that shit shows up except for him being <laughs> unkillable. And I was just like, fuck this movie to death. Listen. I think all of your complaints with the movie are super valid and they're spot on, but all of your complaints are the things that I love most about this movie <laughs> because it is bad and I am here for it. I, I love it at the end of the movie. You're like, oh shit, I guess that's who the killer is knowing full well that it couldn't be that person yes! because of things that have already happened in this movie. Also, there are so many like mistakes. Like when Parker Posey gets killed, she's at the end of a long hallway w where there's like double-sided mirrors 
or whatever you call those things, right? Yeah, the closets with the mirrors. There's yeah. no exit on the other side of it. And they shoot the direction that the guy who's killing her would have to run to leave that scene. Right, right? where did he run he to? He just fucking finishes, Paige! Where did he go? <laughs> I love that so much. Can we talk about how this movie, much like Mad Men Mars, absolutely <laughs> confirms the existence of multiple ghost faces, as has been oh, the yes. case in almost every Scream movie yes. prior to this. Absolutely. And then, spoiler, it's just the one guy. But even better, when that one guy reveals himself, she's like, Roman, it's you. But they've never met. They have no <laughs> idea the other person exists. She has no way that she you could guys. identified him as the killer. And it was driving me nuts. This is the number one thing. That <laughs> voice changer is fucking huge and you oh, can't and wear impossible. that under the mask. Mikey, every time he uses it and you can see it, like every time you see the voice changer and someone uses it, you hear a hank, hank, in between them turning it off and turning it on. Yes. You never hear that if you don't see it. How can you have two stabby hands and a giant <laughs> Vader mask on in front of your face? <laughs> And it's not in the mask. That technology doesn't fucking exist. Even today, 22 <laughs> years later, Paige. God damn it. I love this movie so much. Uh, the thing <laughs> that I love about the killer scene when it's revealed, she addresses him like she has met him before and they've talked. Not like they know each other yes. real well, but she yes. she knows him, right? She knows of him. Yeah. yeah. And he addresses her like he's meeting her for the first time. He even says. Because he is meeting her for the no, first time. No, I know. I know. I know. But he says. Roman Bridger, director. Yes. <laughs> he is a famous director, so it would be like if like Wes Anderson was the killer and takes off his mask. I'm like, oh, Wes Anderson? He's no. like, I'm your half-brother trying to kill you. It wouldn't be like Wes Anderson. He's not a famous director, Mike. Yeah. This is his first movie. He talks about it a fucking ton. Now, what they didn't talk about that I, in my theory that I was developing to predict the end of this movie, I think he is the producer, like the one who had the screening room where they're in his house at the end. I think it's his son. Oh, like his illegitimate yeah. son. So do I. Paige, and 100%. And completely, he just kills that guy like it's just nothing. Oh, you mean the Harvey Weinstein stand-in in Scream 3 that was yes. released on Miramax, Bob and Harvey Weinstein's yes. cor corporation, yes. and where he, the Harvey Weinstein characters, gets killed? Yes. For yes, essentially do doing that. what he did? Yes. Yes. Do, do you think he wrote some of those scenes? No, I think no. they wrote it, whoever wrote this movie, knowing full well what was going on. Yeah, it was an open secret even as this movie was being made. That's why I think they wrote it in. I think that it is like an allegory for what was going on at the time. Well, he's also not the only person to ever do that. No, like the I 70s know. were full of that shit. I know, but they they approach it in this movie that was probably filmed in 99 like it was this thing that was horrible and that was only in the 70s and wasn't fully still going on. Right. But maybe we should just get into this movie so we can talk about it. Yeah, let's get into this movie. So uh, we open on a helicopter shot over the Hollywood sign. Mikey he does love helicopters <laughs> as cotton weary is in essentially stuck in traffic on the hollywood freeway i love cotton weary i hate that he died in this movie i know r.i.p Liam schreiber i legit forgot he was in it until just now I, I but i do love him you're right i love that he gets a call and then has to rush home from like the la traffic and to get home faster he just gets off the interstate which i thought was wild i like the audacity of trying to fuck a wrong number oh yeah he does think it's a wrong number because well i mean they <laughs> oh and he's like are you a fan of 100 percent cotton <laughs> and she's I like 110 that. that's the name the name of his show 
But to Todd's point, if you ever want to get anywhere fast in L.A., you get off the interstate. Like, that's the norm because the interstate's always packed. But this is one of the only movies I've ever seen where they actually follow an accurate route from where he's really at to where he's trying to go. Yes. Yeah, PCB. No, no not even my, remotely no, close. My, no, that's all L.A. In the background. <laughs> it seems like he is traveling from the Burbank airport to the Hollywood Hills and it, he follows a pretty clear trajectory toward it. And he almost gets into what we would call like a high speed chase through and down Hollywood Boulevard. That's the most unbelievable part of it. Well, except no one's chasing him. Well, it's because they won't chase you on city streets above a certain speed limit in Los Angeles. Well, I mean, he might he might not have also passed the cop like none of that matters because he's racing home because the killer, quote unquote, Roman Bridger director, Roman Bridger director (laughs) has called him and been like, I'm going to kill your girlfriend unless you get home and stop me or whatever. I'm going to spoil something for you right now fun fact wise please they filmed three different endings to this movie with three different killers i mean that makes sense this is the third right (laughs) but it's also why most of this movie doesn't make sense because it could be scott foley roman bridger director (laughs) i'm gonna refer to him as roman bridger director the whole episode i believe milton the the weinstein character was another possibility okay and then I legitimately don't know who the third possibility was because it wasn't Patrick Dempsey. They forgot they had him in the movie and then eventually wrote him into act three. But they spend all this time setting it up so that he could have been the third possibility. He had to be. I for sure thought he was the third killer, but apparently it's somebody else anyway. My guess would be Brock Sampson. Who's Brock, Brock Samson? Patrick Warburton's character. But I mean, who knows? He dies too soon. Well, that's true. But the director also dies and it turns out he's the killer. So like, who the fuck knows? You could say anyone alive or dead at the end could be the killer. Yeah. because And I think that's why they have Scott Foley's death still in the movie. Yeah. And then he shows up as the killer later with no blood on him, with also no time to have cleaned himself up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so Cotton rushes home. And he does talk on the phone uh, as he's kind of rushing home about being in just a cheap slasher flick. We will find out that he was cameoing in Stab 3. Yeah. But he gets a wrong number. It turns out it's the killer. And he rushes home to try and catch his girlfriend or wife. I, th- I thought girlfriend. I think, I, th- I think it's girlfriend. Yeah. Girlfriend, yeah. Which I'm surprised he rushed home since he was also trying to cheat on her immediately. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I was slightly <laughs> confused with the way they treat his character and a couple others until I got to fun facts. And the guy who wrote the bulk of this movie had never seen Scream 1 or Scream 2. So, like, at that point, I was like, oh, okay. I find that so easy to believe, Paige. (laughs) Very easy to believe. When I was reading that, I was like, am I more qualified to have written Scream 3? Like, oh, my God. Yes. I mean, I don't know. Whoever wrote this had probably... He knew about Stab, so... Well, he probably had (laughs) also seen every Scooby-Doo property out there. Oh. I can't This talk movie is Scooby Doo as hell. I wish I liked this movie. I was just like bored and hated it. And I was just like, uh. I watched this twice. I thought it was great. Aww. And it was mainly because, and I've never found Parker Posey attractive in my life. And I love her in this movie. She is doing the most, and I love it. You've never found Parker Posey attractive? She's not really yeah, my I type. I didn't understand that either. Yeah, I have a very specific type. She's not wearing enough layers. <laughs> I, I think it's really funny how this movie couldn't get a lot of the main characters. So they were like, what if we just made a whole movie about Dewey and Gale? <laughs> it's yeah. this movie. 
Oh, it's wild. Anyway, he busts his ass to get all the way home. He's been calling her the whole time, but we see that the phone line is cut. He gets home, but before he gets inside, Ghostface is using the voice changer thing to pretend it's him. Yeah. And he has basically trapped his girlfriend in the bedroom. So when Cotton actually gets there, his girlfriend is like, fuck you. You've been terrorizing me in the damn house. Even and like he's not the one who was stabbing through the door. The killer was. And while they're fighting about it, the killer kills her. Yeah. And then he ends up killing Cotton as well. Yeah. By literally like crushing him with a bookcase and then he just like stabs him through the head. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. You don't come back from that. Or you do and you're Scott Foley. Like I don't like. Yeah. Who knows? Apparently Cotton could have been the killer in this movie for all we fucking know. I'll tell you what you don't do though, Paige. You don't win a ping pong ball tournament in South Korea. No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, No, you need a doll for that. So we cut to Sydney walking back up to her house through a fence. And it's clearly kind of a deserted off the beaten path place. Yeah, it's not in Woodsboro or whatever, wherever the city yeah. is initially. Yeah, it's in L.A., right? Um, Yeah, she's up in the hills. Yeah, yeah. I think oh, she is. is. Yeah, I think that's yeah. where she went into, quote unquote, hiding, possibly in witness protection. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think she's just a recluse. Well, I mean, she could be up in the hills above L.A., but she could also be kind of further out to the desert. Yeah, for sure. Because it's kind of deserty about her. It is. Know, around her. Yeah. She's got a real cute dog, too. Oh, I love her little setup here. Me it was too. one of those things where when they were like, come to L.A., I was like, don't go to L.A. <laughs> like, yeah. stay in your cool house. Anyway, so as we see her get home, she's kind of like setting the code on her house. Like, she's clearly still taking a lot of precaution. Yeah, she's traumatized, which I think is understandable. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. And we see her sit down and basically clock into a remote job working for uh, a women's crisis counseling phone line. So, and under an assumed name, by the way, because she goes by Laura on the phone here. Well, yeah, I assumed that she was under a different identity, even in this house and in that community that she's living in, wherever it is. Yeah. Like witness protection, or she's just lying to people about her name because... Either way. Like Paige. Yeah. What are you hiding from, Paige? Who killed your friends in high school? (laughs) They were jealous of my family's chicken riches. Um, (laughs) I'd buy that. Ooh, the riches is my favorite part of the chicken. What? Where is the riches? Deep fry it. Ooh. It's south of the liver. South of the liver? It's a little gummy, unless you cook it just right. Yeah, yeah, that checks out. Anyway, we cut from there to a lecture at a college where the worst pair of bangs on earth is giving a talk about journalism. Um, It's amazing. Suspicious given her journalistic ethics as displayed in the first two films. Yeah, she's the worst. She's the worst. She even talks about how she's not going to do that kind of journalism anymore because she's better than that at the end of this movie. No, at the end of this movie, but in this talk, she's like, break the rules, stop at nothing. And I'm like, no, you should have stopped about two inches from where they cut those bangs. But like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, Also, what is the difference functionally between having those bangs and just pulling all your hair back on a ponytail? Because it's like the top of her hair has eyelashes. (laughs) (laughs) It's the future. (laughs) It's like she watched Blade Runner and said, yeah, what would I look like if I had been cast in Blade Runner in the 70s? In the 70s? Um, It reminds me of, have either of you seen videos on YouTube of where people tried to curl their hair with a curling yes, iron and, and then it held it the curling off. iron. Yes. <laughs> it breaks off. Paige, it looks exactly like fire damage. Yeah. 
And I say this as someone who was a tween in the 90s and therefore I had the curled crunchy bangs and definitely burned my whole forehead about it. But (laughs) if I had broken all my bangs off, that's what it would be. Yeah, her bangs are so bad she could file a claim with her homeowner's insurance. Oh, I hope she kept track of everything she was keeping in her bangs. (laughs) Or else she's going to turn in something like one Rolex watch, two Oakley sunglasses. They're going to be like... In your bangs? Yes. Oh, yeah. man. I had very big bangs. I keep them there all the time. Uh, it was an electrical fire. Uh, it was not my fault. Uh, it wasn't arson. Her bangs <laughs> do look like a victim of arson. We yeah. should investigate. We should. Call the fire marshal for those bangs. Those aren't bangs so much as they're just like bongs. They're wrong. Okay, no more bang talk. We've had 20 no. minutes. Cut it off. We need to get Patrick Dempsey on the case. Oh, because his hair is gorgeous in this movie. But you're right. No more bang talk, Mikey. We're over it. Everyone knows she looks terrible. We're moving on. That's the only thing people talk about in this movie. We've got to find other things. Yeah. We got to talk about, and I was going to say this to the end, the saddest birthday party I've ever seen. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) They Um, got a banner and everything. (laughs) A huge banner for four people. Do you mean when Roman Bridger director is like, I guess the more the merrier when someone new is showing up to yeah, his birthday party that met. only eight people are attending. This guy who is a Hollywood oh. director with no friends. Not even eight. Yeah, no, no there's only four people there. Oh, Mikey yeah. is right. It's four. Four is a crowd until Dewey and Gail show up. Anyway, so... After her speech, she runs into Detective Kincaid, a.k.a. Patrick Dempsey, Detective McDreamy. And he lets her know that Cotton Weary's been murdered. And on his body, someone left an old pic of Maureen, Sydney's mom. Yeah. Back at Sydney's house, she sees a news report on it. And as part of the news report, they're like, he just finished filming a scene for Stab 3. And then talked about how he was previously imprisoned and then exonerated for Maureen's murder. Yeah, that's like the earlier Scream stuff to fill people in who haven't seen the earlier ones. Yeah. Yeah, when they had actual plot. You don't worry. It doesn't matter. He's murdered. (laughs) This movie's plot is ironclad, Mikey, and I will not hear otherwise. Oh, God. I can't even think of a good (laughs) metaphor. The only thing that would have made this plot better is if at the end, Roman Bridger director had said, I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> meddling kids. This movie is Iron Clan like the man from the Iron Mask, as in I wish I could not have seen it because my face was in an Iron Mask. Oh, man. I love that movie, too. I'm sure you do. When they run down that hallway. Oh, Oh man. Save the king! Okay, next scene, next scene. Mikey's got a date and he wants to move us along. All right, all right. I haven't so, been on a date in a long time. I know, I helped you pick out your shirt. I'm looking forward to you going on this date, Mikey. We gotta we gotta focus up. It's because last night I was in a hostage situation. I yes, we were supposed recording. to record I'm last so sorry. night. Can I leave that in? Yeah. I mean I was in it. Okay. I did really it, it went really well. Everybody was okay. Yeah, because you were on the case. Make sure to bring that up on your date, Mikey, because that's like <laughs> hero shit. Yeah. I mean, like then he shot eight rounds. And then I was like, hey, bro, it's me, Mike. You want to chat? So we cut to the set of Stab 3 where Lance Henriksen plays essentially a Harvey Weinstein stand-in. Yes. Uh, and then Scott Foley is Roman Bridger, director. Who wants to direct a romance film. That's his number one priority. He wants to direct a love story. He does. But they made him make this this movie first. Uh, and there's a reason that's in there, and I'll talk about it in Fun Facts. Okay. Anyway. It's because the director probably was forced to make this. Yeah. <laughs> 
Come on, Todd, pick it up. It's meta. Yeah, yeah, it's so meta. I mean, honestly, I believe it. Yeah. So he's really upset because he's like, oh, these murders are harshing my movies, Buzz. Even though apparently he's the one doing the murders. I know. Paige, I love this conversation. In hindsight, we know he's the one doing it because he's Roman Bridger director slash murderer. But at the end of it, he's like, I'm never going to work again. Variety called me a pariah. And then the uh, producer's like, it helps with your mystique. And he goes, wait, is this going to help me get work? And then that's when they open the door so they've been having this like argument about him not being able to work again and then he's like oh wait maybe it'll help me get work oh, i think we all know in reality this would just make the movie blow up i mean like yeah. this is the unmeta meta thing is like he's like oh no but everybody would be like oh yeah oh yeah. yes now we gotta watch it the director turned into a piranha <laughs> I hope they pick that as one of the movies we've never done before. Piranha 3D? Ah. Yes. Any of the Piranha films or the Sharknados. Well, it would be sort of like when uh, Heath Ledger died before The Dark Knight. Yeah. Everyone went and saw that movie. Although he's also just really fucking good in Dark Knight. No, he is, but it created so much buzz for that movie. I'm not saying they killed him, but I'm just saying we should look into it. No, clearly it was the Piranhas. (laughs) Um, I don't know why I've decided my character for today is Paige doesn't understand words. It's not on brand, but like, you know what? I'm having fun with it. Why are you stealing my brand? (laughs) That's true. You're the one who doesn't know words. All right. I'll do Paige. Mikey, you do me. The rest of the podcast. I love movies. All right. Let's change it. I don't like this at all. (laughs) I'll I'll be Mikey. I've got a huge vitamin water dick. (laughs) I only like leprechauns today. My name's Todd. Let's move on to the next scene. Who who gets murdered now? Nobody yet, because it's the cast of Stab 3 being like, we're going to not be famous because people get killed in our movie. Uh, revealing that Emily Mortimer, who I think is actually the third killer option. The, I think the she fake is. Sydney. Yeah. I th- because, yeah. well, for th- reasons, I think she is the third killer. They really set her up as potentially being the third killer. Yeah. Because she won a talent search for Sydney, although we will find out later that she slept with the Harvey Weinstein stand-in to get that role. Yes. So, enter Banks on what is, I found out they rebuilt the sets from the first movie because they'd been torn down. Okay. But they're clearly on the Universal backlot. Yeah. And so, so it looks very much like they built them over what then becomes the Desperate Housewives set. So if you've been to the Universal Backlot and drive through it, yeah, no, it I looks have. like the Housewives set. It does sort of look like that. So I, I don't know if they just left them up after or whatever, but... That's wild. Yeah, you might be right. Anyway, this is where... So Gail walks onto set. No one stops her. Most unrealistic part of this movie every time somebody does it. Oh, yeah. Getting on a movie set is impossible. <laughs> yeah, people just like roll up like, I'm the sister of a character from a previous movie and I'm here to show you a tape no one stopped me i think she snuck in on that trailer when it was being dragged on the lot like she planned this like months in advance yeah i'm just picturing heather Matarazzo with like the vhs tape in her teeth riding on the bottom of that trailer <laughs> like <Cape> fear oh, <laughs> yes never seen cape fear i just know the reference <laughs> gail meets fate gail aka parker posey who's in a completely different movie than the rest of the cast i love parker posey in this movie she so much definitely in a different movie she's in a, a scooby-doo episode yes. or she, no she is and i i will say yeah. i think she is the only person who understands the movie she's in 
Um, right? I think everyone else is trying to be in Scream 3, and she's in whatever movie this actually yeah. is. I think everyone's <laughs> trying to be like they like serious like they were in Scream 1 and 2, and they just didn't read this script or realize that it was going to come out this way, and she just knew. Well, in their defense, they were only getting their their copies, like their pages the day of. That's for a so lot of these wild. Scenes. Yeah. But one of my favorite parts about it is that in within the like world of this movie, as she meets Parker Posey, we reveal that Parker Posey used to date Brad Pitt and her name is Jennifer Jolie. Yes. Like her character. And yeah. it's Courtney Cox being like, oh, so nice that you. And I, I'm like, this is clearly supposed to be Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Which is even more bonkers. Well, and her last name is Jolie. Jennifer Jolie. Yeah. yeah Jennifer Jolie. Oh, man. That's not a good look. When did they break up? Oh, gosh, I don't remember. That's straight up offensive, like to Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Hey, Courtney Cox was like Jennifer Aniston's real life friend for yeah. a while. They were at least on Friends together. Yeah. Well, this is happening. And she's it's, like, why don't we name my stand in character after? After the saddest thing that happened to you To recently. a friend of mine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's bonkers. I didn't realize her name was Jennifer Jolie. That's wild. Look, as long as the check cashes, you can call me mannequin. <laughs> Mannequin. Mannequin. Uh, anyway, so Dewey shows up because he's a consultant on the film. And is also boning fake Gale. Wait, Paige. What's up? I just looked it up. Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt did not break up until 2005, five years after this movie, which this means movie's prophetic. they correctly oh predicted oh who Brad Pitt would leave Jennifer Aniston for. And that is insane to me. Wait, because it is. Hold on. They broke up in 2005. I'm making sure that we have her last name correct. I looked it yes, up. Yes, it is Jennifer Jolie. Oh my God. I looked it up because I didn't believe you, Paige. I was like, there's no way they got that right. And they did. They're killing people in the order they get killed in the movie. <laughs> Brad Pitt is fucking people in the order. Oh, wait, never mind. Sorry. Oh, God. Th this thing. is like. This is like those Simpsons episodes that predicted Trump would be president. <laughs> we are in the darkest timeline. We are. Everyone affix your goatees. <laughs> All right. Oh, that is wild. That is honestly the best part of this movie in my mind right now. And this is before Grey's Anatomy. So this is like Patrick Dempsey like trying to come back. Yes, it is. What if eight years from now, 2030, those bangs are the one style that everyone wants? And this movie knew all along. <laughs> Yeah, there's just flying cars coming down. I'm like, God dang it, I hate these bangs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Dewey is there as a consultant on the movie, and he's like, oh, there's a dead body, so here comes Gail. Well, she's totally an awful person the last two movies. Uh, yo, I'm not saying she's not. I'm just saying that that's how he sounds to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, scary movie got him right when they were like- He's a mumble. Yeah. I just love how his limp comes and goes depending on how the plot needs it. And it oh, switches sides, too. It's so good. It's like he forgets sometimes halfway through, like, hurrying somewhere that he has a limp. So he walks fine for three steps and then limps five more. So great. Yes. Whoever said David Arquette is not a good actor was right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was you just now. And I agree with me. There you go. They do kind of introduce the other people, uh, including Tom Prince. P-R-I-N-Z-E, like Freddie Prince Jr., Oh wow! Uh, who's playing Dewey. It's like the hot movie version of yeah. Dewey. Yes. 
And I love that. Like when he walks away, Courtney Cox goes, who is he playing? And I was like, we, we know who he's playing. He's in the uniform. Yeah. He's playing the hot version of your husband. I don't know if they were, they were married at this point, weren't they? They were married on like right before this movie started yeah, filming. That's what so I they thought. like shared a trailer whole line. Uh, but it, it just kind of reminds me of, I don't know how recently either of you have seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but at the very end where he watches the movie about his life and it's like Morgan Fairchild and I think James Brolin, I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, but it's paging Dr. Herman, Dr. <laughs> Peter Herman. And he's just like this like suave, amazing looking dude. I've never seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Todd, what? Yeah, never seen Todd, it. Todd, no. I wasn't allowed to watch Pee Wee's Playhouse and stuff when I was growing up because my family oh, was weird. Pee Wee's Big Adventure is great. That means you don't know about Large Marge. You know shit about Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't process that. We just have to move on. <laughs> anyway, so they try to remove Gail from the set and she's like, I'm here with a detective. And they're like, nope, don't care. Yeah, no reporters on set. Yeah. Yeah. And as they're removing her from the set, she passes Kevin Smith and Jason Muse as Jay and Silent Bob. Oh my God. And they're like, hey, look, it's Connie Chung, which I thought was hilarious. Because that is kind of Connie Chung's haircut at the time. <laughs> I love that she flips Jay off and then Jay goes to Silent Bob. Oh, dude, I think she likes me, which is very Jay. This is like very. at the time period where I loved Jay and Silent Bob. Like I loved Clerks, all that stuff. I thought Kevin Smith could do no wrong. This is before I saw Tusk, obviously. And yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, or, or Clerks 2. Clerks 2 kind of rubs me the wrong way yeah. a bit sometimes. I would yeah. have loved to have seen this cameo at the time. Yeah. yeah. This is like right before Dogma, isn't it? Or right around the same time? I think it's 2000. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know, but they were, most of their stuff was on Miramax. So they would have been on the lot a lot, I bet. Yeah. And they filmed most of this just on the lot, just yeah. around. Yeah. Dogma's the same year. So it's, it's 99. Yeah. They were probably filming Dogma at the time then. Yeah. So she is thrown off the set, but we cut to Sydney's house with her dad and she's like, I don't know why this happened her dad's like well cotton had a lot of enemies and i'm like not necessarily i mean like maybe we find out later that his tv show is kind of controversial sure i mean but i have people who don't like me or me on the podcast but i don't think any of them want to kill me exactly i'm like it's not like you know what yeah. are the odds but so she's like why did mom have so many secrets dad because the whole crux of this movie is setting up that her mom had like even more crazy secrets than before. <laughs> Her mom's hair is like Gretchen Wieners. It's just full of secrets. It is just, this woman led like 12 secret lives. Yeah. It's nuts. We've all been there. No. Uh, oh, oh, we have not? Exactly. We've never been there. We've never been there. <laughs> What's that like? I don't, I don't know. know. Now, if do if people start dropping dead around me, it's definitely one of my secret lives that's never happened. For sure. Right. Of course. Of course. Of course. And if people stop start dropping dead around me, it has nothing to do with my fake name. Don't ask about it. Paige, we only know your fake name. Good. <laughs> I have your dad's phone number, but don't know your real name. <laughs> Paige has been using a voice changer the whole time. It's actually me. I'm the leprechaun. Like that's who's been doing this podcast with you the entire time. Ladies and gentlemen, Warwick Davis. Oh, great. Now Todd's going to be super into Paige Leprechaun. Gross. Just kidding. It's me, Vicky. Are you ready for the next part? Okay, so she's asleep on the couch. Huh? And 
This voice changer technology is unparalleled. I mean, I didn't realize that they had voice deep fakes in the year 2000. If you watch the Mission Impossible films, they do. Oh, yeah. Fake faces in that movie. Yeah, fake face and then like a sticker that grows across your Adam's apple that makes you not sound like Simon Pegg for some reason. Exactly. It's the most bonkers technology I've ever seen in a movie. This big. You hit the five preset voices. One is your dead mother. Yeah, it essentially is a talk boy. It's a talk boy, but he seems to be adding voices to it just at random constantly. Like on the fly. On the fly. Like yeah. he just needs you to say two things. And then he's just like, it's me, brother, Terry Bolia, here to tell you that I'm here to kill you. Like, like he, he's just on. It'd be way funnier to me if it was just random celebrities. Yo, shit. Well, I mean, like half of them are in their world, quote unquote. In their world. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't have had that murder, brother. <laughs> I shouldn't have had that knife, brother. Your mom shouldn't have snuck off for three years and impregnated someone herself and then had me. I'm your brother, brother. I'm your brother, brother. I'm your brother, brother. Oh, oh man. Fuck, Terry Hogan being the killer makes as much sense. It's me, Roman Bridger's director, brother. <laughs> it would have been better if they had taken the mask off and it was just legit Terry Hogan. Like, that's who it was. <laughs> I, it would have made yeah. as much sense as the rest of this movie. If you, well, I'm trying to think of who was really popular in the year 2000. Stone like, Cold if you Steve Hulk, Austin. Hulk, Hulk, what are Hogan we talking was. about? Well, I'm, yeah. I'm just, if you pulled the mask off and it was just in fucking Timberlake, you'd be like, I guess that makes as much sense as anything else. <laughs> he pulls it off and goes, It's gotta be May. <laughs> you might be right, babe, from this life. You've seen them all come and go. Ghost face. Yeah. Hell no, yeah. Yeah, I can see it makes as much sense as the rest of the It movie. does. And honestly, much better movie. Yeah. That it means you believe in no knife, no cry. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm a be stabbing you. You, because I'm a murder <laughs> fool. Uh, you don't want to die from my nut. Okay, anyway. You'll have to kill me twice. We could do the whole Multiple, song. Page. At least twice. We at could least do twice. the whole song. Yeah. <laughs> Mikey is fully checked out on his phone right now. A hundred percent. Like, not even high. I'm just like, like, oh, they're doing the whole song. I guess I'll check my email. He passively aggressively holds his phone up in front of the camera so we can <laughs> see him physically checking out. I'm old and I need to hold the phone far away. So so my eyes can see the letters. I don't oh. like when they sing. I am too mature for the insynchronization. I can't wait to go on my date and have her drink some vitamin water. <laughs> That's too far. <laughs> too far. Who gets murdered now? Uh, nobody. It's a flashback. So Sydney has a flashback of her mom as a ghost. With like bloody fingers, and I was just like, "Is this Evil Dead all of a sudden?" Because her mom's yeah, just and like, her window never looks like there's actual glass in the window. It's like there's a mime ghost. That window's open the whole goddamn time. <laughs> it's just the cleanest glass pane I've ever seen in my life. I, I, yeah, I guess, like it looked fully open. Like maybe that's where they were putting a camera through or something. Because I kept watching her like put the code in. And I'm like, bitch, that whole window's open. It's true. Anyway, if that window was open, she's doing the best mime ever because her hands are like perfectly positioned. That's the only place where it looks like there's glass is yeah. when the mom is there. But every other time it looks open. Absolutely. I agree. We cut back to the stab three set where Jenny McCarthy comes into the production offices to talk to Roman because uh, she wants to talk about her 
role in the movie because she's like, all I do is die. Yeah, and she's complaining about like, I don't want to be a 35-year-old playing an 18-year-old who gets murdered naked. Why would I be taking a shower? My boyfriend just got murdered. No offense if you're 35 in Hollywood, you pray to play a 21-year-old. <laughs> like, you hope that you can. Otherwise, they just start casting you as moms in yogurt commercials. So... <laughs> she accidentally breaks his trophy, uh, but does call him and get him on the phone. So he's talking through her lines over the phone, claiming that he's on his way to see her there at the office. And they're reading through her scene. And as they're reading through, he reveals himself over the phone to be the killer. Which, okay, think about it, Paige. He is Roman Bridger director. He is the Correct. killer. So he goes from his regular voice, then uses the voice changer to do the killer voice, fully just trying to confuse the person he's just going to kill and is not going to be able to tell anybody who the killer who is. Who is this for? Exactly. Tom? That's my who point. Why for? not just keep using his regular voice? Why not just kill her and not say anything? <laughs> um, because he's a process killer, right? It's the, That's you know, it he really likes it's getting Clearly, the, he's a process yeah, killer. Yeah, it's the yeah. fear that gives him the erection, not the murder yeah, yeah. itself. I like yeah. to throw my voice, and then yeah. I like to throw my knife. Yeah, <laughs> fear-erection. But here's the other thing. In this phone call, in doing this, he leaves a clue that it's him. If he had just not called her, he would have gotten away with it. Yeah. Like, he would have never, because at one point he ends up in police custody because of this phone call that he didn't have to make. It's just, it's maddening. It makes It no makes zero sense. sense. Yeah, it's real dumb. But again, love it. He said he was the killer to throw the authorities off. <laughs> I think my favorite part in this sequence is when she's hiding in the costume department among all the ghost face costumes. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then the one moves. I'm like, that's kind of cool. And they clearly were just setting up for that kill, essentially, yeah. is what they're doing. But it makes no fucking sense in the story yeah. at all. I think the reason I like this movie, whereas you two don't, is because you probably, while you were watching it, were trying to figure out who the murderer was. And I was watching it like, oh man, this is nuts. <laughs> I mean, it no, is nuts. No, that's how I watched it. And I was like, this is so bad compared to the other Scream movies. Yeah. I, I think that's my frustration is like, if this was a standalone movie, I'd be like, this is so bad, it's fun. And I'm going to rewatch this a People lot. People worship this franchise as being like one of the best slasher franchise like the best since halloween almost i mean here here's what i will say about it i mean you cannot argue with the first one the first one's amazing yeah i get a little frustrated with scream as a franchise as far as slashers go because the kills are not creative interesting okay is it because they're like repetitive it's always with a knife yeah yeah okay i can see that it's always the same guy it's always getting stabbed now granted i think the more that you kind of get varied with it the more goofy something has the potential to be. And that's yeah. where you get into your like Freddy's and Jason's and, and whatever. Yeah. And so I understand maybe not doing that. Yeah. But they leaned into that at least. Yeah. Yeah. In in this movie, you've got all the goofiness of a Freddy or a Jason and there's no interesting kills. <laughs> it's like double, you yeah. know, at least if you're going to play serious and the kills are just straightforward, but it's a serious kind of meta examination of horror movies. That's a little different. This is just fucking bonkers. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this could have had crazy killings. This could have had welcome to primetime, bitch. And instead, it's just got multiple Bowie knives. Instead, it's got Roman Bridger director. Brother. <laughs> I love it, though. <laughs> we cut to a cafe in West Hollywood. 
And I think I think this is on either La Cienega or La Brea, but I was able to kind of pinpoint like where it probably was. So they definitely filmed almost all of this on location and a bunch of it just on the back lot in and around the sets because that's what they had. Yeah. The the production on this is a shit show. <laughs> it's wild. I can't wait to tell you how much it cost. <laughs> oh, I, I know it cost a lot of money, but anyway... So Dewey and Gail are having a conversation of like, you know, why did she leave? Why is he here? We find out that she originally came to L.A. to be on 60 Minutes 2. Yeah. Which I think is like, first of all, it would never be called that. Uh, Yeah, I love that they like position it like it's a sequel to the 60 Minutes show. Yeah. Which like 60 Minutes is like a news show. Like you don't have Channel 2 Nightly News 2, the sequel. Like, yeah, yeah, that would be ridiculous. Channel 2 Nightly News. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not Channel 2 Nightly News Electric Boogaloo. No, no, it's 120 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) 120 minutes would actually be better. (laughs) It would be funnier. I was like, oh, 120 minutes. That's a good idea. I like a long format news program that's like our podcast like two hours long every time yeah there you go so he reveals to her that the police got a call from someone on the set of stab three who wouldn't give their name who wanted the file on sid but he had already removed it because they're trying to find sid which means that this is about sid but it could have been fake sid trying to usurp real sid it could have been the director who is maybe Sid's actual father. You mean brother. I'm sorry, the director who could have been her brother, the producer who could be Sid's father. At least her stepbrother's father. Yeah, at at minimum her stepbrother's father, but also potentially her father. Like, who knows? We don't know the timeline. She was only gone for two years. She was only gone for two years, and she filmed three movies in that time. And from the ending that we have in this movie, gave birth to the brother. Yeah. So that's nine months and some change. Yeah. But- Literally, they talk about like from when Sid's mom met Sid's dad, there's the two year gap is right before that. Yeah. But we don't know the timeline of when anything else happened. So he could very well be Sid's father for all we know. But somebody called to try and find that file. Yeah. But Dewey had already removed it, like you said. Dewey had already removed it. And so we cut to, uh, we go to where Dewey is staying, but it's actually Jennifer Jolie's house in part because they've gotten a call that there's been another murder and it was Jenny McCarthy. Yeah. And we meet Patrick Warburton, who is her security, who gets killed almost immediately, which is, uh, is pretty sad. Yeah. Yeah. I love him so much. I, every time I see him, refer to him as Brock Sampson because he's in the Venture Brothers as Brock Sampson. And that's like one of my favorite characters of his. But I love his and Parker Posey's relationship. It's yes. my favorite. I even sent you guys a video. I had to you rewind sent, it. You sent us a clip of like right after this scene. Man, it's so funny because this scene plays out. And then as everyone's like sort of leaving, Parker Posey walks over to him and literally jumps into his arms. And then the scene ends. And I was like. And he just carries her away. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what is happening? I love everything about this choice. That's how I bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, will always jump into your arms and make you carry me into the other room like my legs are broken. Ooh. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, essentially all this scene is, is they go to the house to check on her. The other cast members are there and they're all like, okay, this is going to torch our movie, but also they're killing people in order of the script. Well, who dies next? There's three different scripts. So who knows who dies next? But she thinks that it's going to be Gail. So it's either going to be her or real Gail. Yeah. Which is when she formulates her plan 
to just constantly stay with real Gail so that the killer will kill real Gail and not her, which, to be honest, pretty brilliant plan. Like, yeah, it's, great it's plan. It's not a bad plan. She doesn't explain it in this scene, but yeah, I love that she did that. Yes. And also, it keeps her in almost every scene, and I love her in this movie, so I was on board for it. Yep. So, we end the scene with her just jumping into his arms and, and oh, walking away, but we cut so to good. the set where the detectives are now on set, and they're like, well, what are we going to do? Okay, well, we're going to have to like dust the, the set prints, the office, everything, and they bring up this idea of the killer's killing whoever dies next, and this is where Roman says, well, there's three versions of the scripts. We don't know which one the killer read. Yeah. It, it could be any, but like there's multiple options and they don't tell us what the options are. Um, but this is also where he talks about having to film this because he wanted to do a love story, but he had to do this first. Yeah. And he says that he's the next target and uses the broken trophy as evidence, even though we know that she did it on accident. Yeah, we saw the McCartney break it by mistake. Jenna McCarthy, yes. McCarthy, sorry. Yes, she's not a McCartney. She's a McCarthy. My bad. Anyway, so this is where we find out that the police have tracked calls and talked to Jenny McCarthy's roommate. And by all accounts, she was supposed to meet the director there. And so he's doing this whole thing of like, I don't know, like somebody's trying to ruin my movie. I like, I didn't tell her to go anywhere. I didn't call her. Yeah. And then as they cart him away, Detective Kincaid asks to borrow a phone. Yeah, Dewey's phone. Specifically. Dewey's phone. Yeah. And then later when they're, when they're like, Dewey, did anyone borrow your phone? Kincaid did like they're clearly setting up Kincaid to yeah, be a killer. Yes, they absolutely yes. are. Yeah. Because uh later in the movie, like shortly after this, Sydney gets a phone call and they assume yeah. that that's where they got yes. that's where the killer got her number. Kincaid would have been a better, better villain. It would have made more sense, but it would have made more sense and it could have still been the brother because and I'll talk about it later, but they lay the groundwork for that being the case. Because by midway through the movie, I had guessed that whoever the killer was, was her brother. And it was either Kincaid or Scott Foley. Yeah. But then Scott Foley died. And so I was like, well, I guess it's Kincaid. But then, no, it was somehow still Scott Foley. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, but this is where we cut to Sydney's place. She answers a phone call. It's from the killer. And somehow the killer has her mom's voice. Which boggles my mind because her mom has been dead for two movies now. So unless he was like collecting it from home movies, like, I don't know how he has this voice changer thing. She was also in some movies in the 70s. So maybe there. But I mean, the voice changer technology does not work. So if you're trying to break down how it yeah. works, you're going to have a bad debt. Right. I just thought Sydney forgot what her mom sounded like. Because, you know, she's got, <laughs> yeah. that is a very sad reality of I mean, losing someone close take, to you. Yeah, like, no, no, no. You're right, though. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Well, let me put this bloody sheet on my head and walk around like a, like a Scooby-Doo ghost, like a fucking idiot. Yeah. Groundskeeper Willie. Like, yeah. That's... Look, Sydney, it's me, your dead mother. <laughs> it's me, Groundskeeper Willie. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Sid freaks out, obviously. Yeah. And like grabs her gun, locks all the doors and looks out the window, which again looks open. So I like, I don't know. Anyway, it's just very clean page. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. We cut to a kind of like a house party as they're kind of drinking to this movie being over, if that makes sense. Well, being shut down, right? Yeah. Yeah, being it's shut not like down, they, yeah. It, I think they were supposed to, like, have a rap party at some point, and they were just doing the rap party tonight because they shut, right. the, they shut it down. But, like, Tom, right. the guy who's playing the Dewey character in Stab, is just, like, ripping up the script scene by scene and, like, throwing yes. them in the air. I thought that was pretty funny. Yep. So real Gale shows up 
Dewey's already there because he lives in a trailer right outside the house. Right. Which Gail seemed offended by, but like, Whatever. you're not dating. So like, wh- why do you care? Yeah, it doesn't matter. But this is where they start comparing the photos that have been left on the two bodies, both yeah. of Maureen. And they talk about there being a cloned cell phone. And so she's, this is where they're like, did you give anyone your phone? Yeah. But it's in this scene that they notice that the shots of fake Gail, the production stills for this movie, are taken in the same place as the photo of Maureen and they're taken on that back lot. Yeah. Well, Dewey notices it because he's like consultant on the film. So he's on the back lot all the time. Right. And so at this point, they're like, this is a clue. This is important. Um, we have to go to the police and we've got to call Kincaid. So they rush back into the room and everyone's gone. And so at first they're like, oh, no, the killer is like gonna come here to kill us everyone's gone where are they and then they just pop back in from nowhere like the house is empty as if they've all been kidnapped and killed but they're just like oh no where is everyone and then they just pop in from out of frame yes like as if they were just standing five feet away yeah they position them as jump scares there's like musical note stingers and dewey is pointing his gun fully at them screaming at them like ah Ah!" he does it twice like back to back (laughs) Like, put your gun away, you crazy person. Well, you see, Woodsboro is also the same town. It's a small town, and it takes about eight months to walk there from Chicago. I think you mean Denver, but yeah. Denver. Are you trying to make a, the lucky one reference? Yeah. Well, he walks from Denver to Louisiana. Yeah. Woodsboro, Louisiana. <laughs> anyway, Patrick Warburton, meanwhile, is very dead and bloody and stabbed and had tried to kill Ghostface, but it is too late. He put up a good fight, too. Yeah. Brock Sampson was like going through Dewey's trailer and he gets a phone call from the killer and the killer comes out of like the bathroom, I think, and stabs him and then hits yeah. him with a frying pan a few times. But yep. I mean, he walks back to the house and this is where they see Brock Sampson walking up towards the door and then just falling dead outside. But of course, their front door is wide open so they can see it all. What drives me crazy is like, who doesn't just immediately dial 911? And they're like, check and see if he's alive. And I'm like, someone called 911. I'm like, he's clearly dead. He like, what are we doing? Yeah, he might be alive, but like he's got a literal knife in his back where he was murdered and the person is there. Yes. Uh, So they all run back inside and the power goes out. So then they run outside to stay together But then the killer's like rewriting the movie and faxing them new pages. So at this point, they completely abandon the idea that the killer is killing according to the script. He's just sending them new pages, but they're just word documents. Like they're not script pages. No. And that drove me insane. (laughs) Well, especially because. Which I know is a very small note, but I'm like every single person that the killer could be works in the film industry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, except for maybe the cop. It would take two seconds. I do feel like it would give it away too much because like Roman Bridger director definitely is using some sort of script software to write his scripts, right? Right, right. So like it would have been in that format. But also so the producer would have been as well. Even the even if it's Emily Mortimer, but she's there when this is happening. Right. I think that this points towards the killer being uh Detective McDreamy, or as I called him, DMD. Yeah, yeah, DMD, because he doesn't have script formatting. Detective Kilcade. Detective Ooh. Kilcade! I love Detective it. Detective Kilcade. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they're trying to get the script pages to see who they're going to kill, and it says, give mercy to whoever smells the gas, and he lights 
a lighter to read the last word and the whole house explodes. Well, he being Tom, Tom who is like, because everyone else like goes outside because there's like a big argument about what the script pages mean or whatever. Like, yeah, right, yeah, right. Do you want to go inside or outside? Yeah. yeah. So everyone else yeah. goes outside and he stays, Tom stays inside. Yes. And then he gets blown up. Like the whole house explodes. The whole house it's explodes. Insane. And here's the thing. They've been in that house for hours. Someone would have smelled gas. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. There's specifically an additive in gas so that you can smell it at that high of a concentration. B, it would have taken hours, hours, hours to fill up a house with that much gas for it to explode like that. It was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. I loved it, though. I thought it was awesome. I mean, I guess Ghostface must have just like lined the basement with dynamite and just the (laughs) gas in the kitchen set it off. I don't know. It's crazy. Acme dynamite. Yeah, Yeah, it checks out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is a Scooby-Doo movie. Yeah. So they jump out of the yard and they kind of roll down into the street and Ghostface is right on their tail um, so Dewey shoots him a bunch. Yeah. When Dewey shoots him, he's like shooting Ghostface to like stop him from stabbing Courtney Cox. And then as he yeah. shoots the last shot, which he nails, by the way, like a hundred feet away, Yo. he hits him oh, like five times feet. center mass. A revolver. Great shot. Yeah. And then he clumsily slips down the hill some more. Like he is like perfect aim, but still can't walk down a hill. I, I was like, what is happening right uh, now? You could still be good at your job and extremely clumsy and stupid. This is not an attack, Mikey. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I'm saying you can pull some shit off and fall down a hill. That's all I'm saying. I, I will say, and they call this out later in the movie uh, where Dewey never fires at anyone's head. He's always firing at exactly where a bulletproof vest would be. Well, that's yeah. where that's where they're trained to shoot. Yeah. Okay, fine. But it's a killer. <laughs> like, we know that this person killed people. I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. When you go to gun class, you aim for center mass because, like, you're not going to be good aim. So you go. It's fine. Once he learns it's a bulletproof vest, he does adjust eventually, maybe. No, she do- he fires five shots into the into the chest cavity again, even though there's a bulletproof vest, until Sydney says to fire it in the head, which is nuts. She has to yell at him later. She's like, shoot him in the head, Dewey! Yes. It's great. Love this movie. Anyway, they have a third picture now, and on the back it says, I killed her, basically saying that whoever the killer is killed Maureen. Right. Which means that it's retconning the story from the first film. Well, they sort of explain that at the end. He didn't really kill her. He just gave the two killers from the first movie the idea to do it. Right. Which right, is right. even more ludicrous. Yes. It yes. Is. How old was he? And uh, so he like went and found 14 year old Billy to be like, Hey, I got something you can do later on. Yeah. Like, that's weird. He's like a 20 year old rolling up at a high yes! school. Like, Hey, yes. Hey, you want to kill my mom? You want to see pictures of your dad fucking that girl's mom? Like, yeah, yeah. it's not great. We cut to the police station. Well, there is a little thing where, like, fake Sydney, Emily Mortimer, is like she comes from a different direction, implying that she was like not there for the explosion, but we fully saw her there for the explosion. Yes. But it's trying to pepper in, like, maybe it's her. So we cut to the police station, and Kincaid is like, I have to talk to Sydney. And Dewey's been kind of protecting Sydney this whole time, like protecting the file and everything. Yeah. But he calls Sydney and no sooner as he has he like called her that Sydney already shows up. 
Like Sydney just was like, yeah, I figured you'd probably need me because there's multiple murders now. Yeah, I did like that, though, because Dewey's an idiot and he's like trying to call her on the phone. and He's like, hey, Sid, we need your help or whatever. And then he looks over and sees her and then looks away and continues talking to her. Yeah, and then it's he's like, weird. oh, oh. And then they they hug. I, I was like, Dewey <laughs> is so dumb. It's amazing. It's real dumb. And they look at the pictures of her mom, but she can't really make any sense of them. Yeah. So Parker Posey and Courtney Cox decide that they're going to take those photos to the archives at the studio. Um, yes. Meanwhile, the rest of them, Dewey, Sydney, and I don't think, can I don't remember if Kincaid is with them or not. At this I think point. this is at the point where he like disappears for like the half the movie. He, he disappears for half the movie. So Dewey and Sydney get bum rushed by Heather Matarazzo, uh, Jamie Kennedy's sister. Yeah. We don't know how she got there. We don't know where uh. she goes after. But she's just like, boop, boop, there's a movie that my brother made during the last movie. So let's watch it. I mean, it really is just a VHS tape of him in his dorm. Yeah. Yeah. And and it has one or two funny bits of like, like, yes, I lost my virginity, Karen. Yes, Karen. Yes, creepy Karen. Like, damn. You're like, I love it. He goes, creepy Karen. And then Jamie Kennedy from the, the VHS tape is like, shut up. Yeah, yes, it's creepy, Karen. I thought that was so funny. I, I, although so dumb, but like I loved it so much. It was funny. Yeah. I just, I, he had such a good character in the franchise. I hate that they killed his character off. Oh, he is one of the characters that should have been in every movie because he is yes. like your rule teller. He's like the person who gives you the rules in the movie. I don't like him uh, personally. I have interacted you with mean him Jamie in person. Kennedy? He's, yeah, he's yeah, not either. nice. He's not a great dude. So I was like, yeah, I'm fine with you not being in this. Oh, I don't even think he's a good actor. Like, I, I think had they gotten someone who I do enjoy more, leave him in the movie. Like, I I like the function yeah. that his character serves yes. in the first movies. Yeah, I liked his character. Yeah. yeah. I don't care about Jamie Kennedy at all. Yeah, I want, and that's the thing is, like, that's what I liked about this scene is the stuff that they break down of, like, okay, a trilogy is an unexpected backstory like Star Wars or, like, Sequel rules don't apply. There's a force to be reckoned with. You have to go back to the beginning and discover something that we didn't think was true. Yeah. And so all of that's super interesting. And I'm like, that's true. Like, this is a very good story structure lecture about trilogies. And for him to be like, anyone can die, including you, Sid, and the past will come back to bite you in the ass. And then, like, no sooner have they, like, finished the tape that she's like, okay, bye. Yeah. And, like, just, like, skips out of their life. I did like yeah. when the cops roll up on them when she's, like, Jamie Kennedy's sister is meeting them. She's like, don't shoot i'm only 17 i don't know why yeah. i found that so funny that's never stopped them before i know Sorry. but then it cuts over to parker posey and courtney cox like breaking into the studio archives not breaking in i mean courtney cox is trying to break in and then parker posey comes up and says i'm gonna stick with you because the murderer wants to kill both of us but i figure if right. we're together he's gonna kill you and leave me alone so she uses her like studio pass to get them in the archives and then i love right. this part because and Paige, you'll probably understand this too they literally go down into the basement to meet with the goddess and then the yes. goddess is princess leia and i loved yes. every fucking bit about that did you know that she was their second choice what who was their first choice guess somebody who is in horror movies jamie lee curtis it was jamie lee curtis that makes sense yeah yeah but also i'm always happy to see carrie fisher anywhere so i was like yeah i loved it i was like oh princess leia i did love the whole like do you know who you look like and she's like yeah and i almost was princess leia but i'm not the one who had sex with george I'm, lucas i'm bianca burnett yeah <laughs> i was that close i love that she says to courtney cox do you want me to tell you who you look like <laughs> 
Yeah. And then I wanted her to be like, because you look a lot like Courtney Cox, except she doesn't have shitty bangs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that girl from Friends, but with worse hair. Uh, so what's kind of funny in the scene is she knows the face of like every every unknown actor or whatever. Yeah. And so she, what's really funny is she refers to jennifer jolie is judy jurgenster yeah which is her i guess unknown actor name well yeah because parker posey's character says that like sydney's mom had a stage name and she goes yeah, yeah Rena reynolds we already know you have a stage name too because your name is judy jurgenstein or whatever yeah judy jurgenstern just like i have a fake name and it's because my real name is dick whitman so <laughs> where oh, were you boy. during the korean war page i don't like to talk about it i knew it <laughs> I I was in the back. <laughs> That's where we keep our chicken tenders. Frying the chicken <laughs> in the back. Uh, so Rena Reynolds, we find out, is Sydney's mom's stage name. And she did a bunch yes. of horror movies for the guy, John Milton, who is producing the Stab films. And so they are going to go confront John Milton because they're like, clearly he's obsessed with her. He's done a bunch of movies about her murder and her daughter, essentially. Yeah, it's a fair assumption. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sydney is on set in the bathroom and she hears a noise behind her and there's nothing there. And then she kind of looks down and sees a shoe kind of hiding in the stall, like stepping up onto the toilet so she can't see under it. And she opens the door and it's Emily Mortimer. It's the actress playing her. Yeah. And uh, she has like a ghost face. Mask. Like costume and mask. Yeah. And a phone. And so it definitely is setting it up to it. Maybe is her, maybe not. Um, but she runs out of the bathroom and Sydney kind of chases her out through a replica of her house. Now, here's the problem for me. A, there's a giant Creed poster in there. Yeah. Well, they're on the soundtrack a lot. Yeah, they are. Can you light me on fire? Creed, number one. Number two. Creed is not number one. No, no, no. I mean, it's the number one problem in this scene. Oh, yes. Number number two is she's running through a movie set, and movie sets don't have real walls or doors. So at one point, she, like, locks herself in the house as if that's going to be safe. And I'm like, bitch, the backside of that house is open. Like, I don't care if you close this door. But then Ghostface comes in through the side like he like runs into yeah, a side yeah. area like, yeah absolutely yeah hey idiot there's no wall here she doesn't have much experience yeah, with this i sort of like this scene because it was very much like a set but it, they were operating it, it under the, the assumption set. that she doesn't really understand what a set is like but yeah the killer who possibly does know what a set is like would have like a huge advantage here i thought i liked it i like this part I, I guess my frustration is that like and maybe it's just because I have been on a set like this. It is so painfully obvious that there are no walls. Right. <laughs> like, like it is impossible to think that you would be safe anywhere at any part of a set. And so I thought it was strange that she was like trying to lock doors and stuff. And I'm like, every room has an open wall. Every room has an open wall. <laughs> like this is And also you could probably just kick the doors. They're just plywood. And it would pop right open. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, what is she doing? Like why? But I did like them running around and like her opening the door that would have been, I think, to her room. And then like and, it and opens up nothing. to nothing. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and I do like it does make for a cool chase scene. But yeah. there are parts of it that just read as kind of silly when she's trying to treat it like a real house. Because yes. it is not. Sure. And the parts where they lean into it being a set are more effective. Yeah. Anyway, so she manages to, like, push the killer out 
through that door that opens to nowhere onto the bed. It runs away. She yells for Dewey and runs into a room that's essentially set up like her mother's murder scene. Yeah. Well, and the killer beat her to that room, which is impossible. That's why there's two killers. I think this it's is Emily Mortimer. Like, yeah. I yes. think that she was lying on the ground under that tarp or whatever the whole time. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, but so she ends up like kind of passed out, but everyone runs in. She doesn't get got by the killer, but Emily Mortimer's like right there. Like, oh no, I just had the mask. I don't even, what are you talking about? Yeah. So they put her in the car with Kincaid. And at this point I was like, Kincaid's the killer. Why are you putting her in the car with him? Right. But then he just takes her back to the police station and it's like no big deal. And they go confront John Milton, the Stab 3 producer. He's not directing. He's just producing this one. Yeah. And he sends everyone back to his house for Roman's birthday party, the saddest birthday party on earth. Oh, it's so sad. It is so sad. There's no cake. Uh, Well, he says, don't cut the cake without me. And there is a cake. It's just in the background. Yeah. They never, no one ever eats it. They just never get to it because, you know, because Roman Bridger director is busy murdering them. Uh, It's my party and I can kill if I want to. (laughs) Kill if I want to. Kill if I want to. You would kill too if your mother was. I don't know. Like. Yeah. It's terrible. I don't His like motivation this. is very shaky. Yeah, I don't like it. It's confusing. He's like, I have a sister, so I'll kill her because my mom didn't. You know what? Actually, this checks out. As the older brother, <laughs> a younger sibling will pull this kind of bullshit all the time of just being like, oh, I didn't get enough attention. I'm going to try to He's murder the everyone. Older. Oh, yeah. Mikey. Mm, I thought Sydney was still born already. I no, thought she was born. Sydney be born. No. Well, that's why this movie doesn't make sense because an older sibling would never do this. An older sibling would definitely do this. We would have just planned it better, though. Yeah. So they confront the producer and he's like, yeah, she was in some of my movies. And he basically hints at the fact that she was sexually assaulted at a party at his house and they just kind of made it go away. It's gross. The way he talks about it, like he was doing the girls a favor because he was allowing them to come over and hang out with men who were like, could get them parts in movies. And it's not positioned like it's a sexual assault, even though it fully is. It fully is. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah. And he basically is like, whatever. Things got out of hand. Maybe she got raped. Maybe she didn't. This city's not for innocence. It's real gross yeah it's some harvey weinstein type shit yeah it's some harvey weinstein type shit and so we cut to the the police station where kincaid and sydney have a conversation about like what do you know about trilogies i know hollywood is all about death yeah and he has on his bulletin board the last photo is turned so it says i killed her yeah so it's almost like a visual signifier that it's him yeah And he's like, I know what it's like to see ghosts that don't go away. And he does this other thing of like, what's the scariest movie? My life. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, but it just seemed like he was like 20 years old and really wanted Sid to like have sex with him. So he was like trying to be edgy and stupid. Like, I don't know. I've been watching a lot of Are You the One on Paramount Plus and a lot of (laughs) dudes talk like this in that show. (laughs) It's setting it up as if he is the murderer. Now, at this point in the movie, I thought for sure that he was her brother, a result of of the assault. That Detective McDreamy was? Yes. And became a detective because of that. Yeah. I thought the whole thing checked out. Like... Yeah, but I was like, "That's her brother." I don't know if he's the killer because I don't know why he would go into like fighting crime and then also just be a serial killer. I thought it was to try and track her and her mom down. 
I don't know. Who knows? But the, he's just the red herring. I think he's the one that is the closest to who the murderer should be. But right. they make not the murderer because that would be the person you would expect. Yeah. Right. So we cut to Dewey and Gail get a call that Sydney's on the way to the party. So they kind of divert and go to the party. I love this scene, though, because... As soon as Dewey picks up the phone, Parker Posey leans up from the back seat and is just in his shot, hand on her ear, like it's helping her hear the phone call. Like, yes. just going insane. I love her in this movie. It's amazing. There's no way in those shots that the director was not like, Parker, why don't we just get one where you're like sitting back and like not in the shot? And she was like, She's like, No, I'm in a comedy, I'm in this shot. <laughs> this movie is bonkers and I am here to make it as bonkers as possible. She acts like like Shit's Creek was a horror movie. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing. She's easily the best part of the movie for me. I've got to take a shower in 20 20- Five minutes. We're almost to the end, so yeah, yeah. This movie basically has like three set pieces, and then you're done. Yeah, the one well, we basically get to the final one. They get to the party. Yeah, and this is where Roman's like supposedly he had a secret screening room. Let's try to find it. But like, let's all split up and try and find it when there's a murderer on the loose. No, why yeah. would you do that? I don't know. But he goes into the basement with fake Sydney, and this is where she loses track of him, and he allegedly dies. Right. I mean, he opens a coffin and sees like a prop in there. Right. And then it cuts away and we don't know what happens. Right. We cut to Gail and Dewey who've stayed upstairs because they're like, yeah, the hell we're splitting up with you guys. Like, no. Yeah. So they try and call back the killer's number and a phone rings in the house and they find a phone in one of the closets with the voice thing and the ghost face costume. Yeah. So at this point, they know that Angelina, who is Emily Mortimer's character, is missing and that... Tyson and Parker Posey are somewhere in the house. Yeah. Which, by the way, this is one of the only times we get Tyson's name in the film. And it's right before he dies. And it's right before he dies. <laughs> yeah. Aww. He has one of my favorite little chase scenes, though. Well, because he's the one that, like, he barely gets a single line until this scene in the movie. And then in this scene of the movie, suddenly he's Jamie Kennedy's character of, like, yeah. no, no, no. In horror movies, it's always this. <laughs> it's like, right. that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Anyway, so Angelica finds Roman dead in the coffin, uh, but she also finds Jennifer alive. So they run upstairs and angelica said i didn't fuck that old guy just to die here so she runs away but she runs in the opposite direction right into the killer yeah yeah where she is immediately stabbed and killed meaning the killer can't be her right or the killer was killing her to cover the tracks that there was a second killer yes but it never reveals that no it does not that is just a wild ass stupid theory which could have very easily done that yeah but these scenes Make it look like there's two killers because the killer's in multiple places at once. Because yes. it's like there's one. Well, you see, the voice changer also can do teleportation. Ah, got it. Got well, it, the, got he it. uses the voice changer after they take it. Yes. Which is <laughs> nuts. I love this movie. <laughs> yes. After they take it, but also there's like one killer that's going after Tyson, another one that's going after Jennifer, and then another one that's using the voice changer to mess with Dewey and Gale. It's almost like there's three killers. Yeah. Like, it's bonkers. Jennifer's running through a secret wine cellar uh, down into the basement. And this is where I have in my notes, is there clearly a second killer? Because they're in two places at once at this point. Yeah. Um, but this is where she gets behind the mirrors and she can't get through and Dewey can't hear her. But the mirrors start kind of vibrating. So Dewey shoots 
shoots the mirrors out, but she falls out dead. And the killer kind of... The killer just vanishes, Paige. Yeah. Like, you would have seen the killer run the other way because those mirrors were shot out. But the killer is just not there and she falls down dead. It's right. nuts. I loved it. It's bonkers. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> but essentially... This is where the killer and Gail take off and Gail ends up at the bottom of the basement with the killer where the killer is unconscious at the bottom of the basement. Yeah. Uh, but also killing Tyson at the same time. Like there's clearly two killers. <laughs> I love when Tyson's fighting with the killer because they're wrestling or whatever. And Tyson gets stabbed once and starts to get away. But as he's running away, he's like, oh, you motherfucker. Like, I don't know why I love <laughs> that so much, but I thought it was hilarious. I mean, I'd be mad if someone stabbed me. Too. me. I thought it was like an accurate thing. I would say something to that. It was effect. pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I would just be like, oh, fuck you. Yeah. Damn it. That's more or less what Tyson Says, and then he gets like above this, I don't know, overlook of the outside and gets thrown out that window. Yeah. So meanwhile, we cut to the police station where Sydney is still just like hanging out for no reason. Yeah. Well, the police have pizza and won't share it with her. Fuck the police. <laughs> Coming straight out of Scream 3. Anyway. That's, more, that's more food than they have at Roman's birthday. <laughs> it is. All they have at Roman's birthday is a cake no one touches. A cake nobody touches. This is Hollywood. And a giant Jurassic Park like banner hanging from the house saying yes. happy birthday Roman. <laughs> <laughs> As it like <laughs> floats <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> oh, you motherfucker. Sorry. <laughs> Hold on to your butts. Oh, that's a horror movie we should do. I have voted for Jurassic Park many a time. Anyway, so Sydney tries to, Sydney's phone rings. She answers it and she can only hear herself echoed, which we would assume is the voice changer. But the killer is unconscious at the bottom of the stairs right. in the basement. That's actually just a wrong number she picked up. That was actually just an echo. Well, no, I mean, Courtney Cox does call Dewey and Dewey's like, how do I know this isn't the voice changer? Then you're not the actual killer or whatever. So he like doesn't go down. Yeah, so he doesn't go down, but somebody's calling Sydney and and using some like it's it's mocking Sydney back to her. So something is calling Sydney. We don't know. Oh, I forgot that someone was calling Sydney sort of during this chase where yes. the killer is passed out at the bottom of the steps. Oh yes. my god. I think it it is just a wrong number that I've had calls that echo. I think it just echoed. Well, like, why include it? It's just confusing. It's so wild. I love this. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying they never see you. Never find out anything, and the killer is unconscious. No, eventually on the phone, the killer is like, "If you come here, your friends live." Yes. Like I'll show you who killed your mother. So it is a call from the That's killer. Right. Wait, 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 wait. I think what happens is Dewey opens the basement and the killer is awake, about to kill Courtney Cox. And then he throws the knife at Dewey, hitting Dewey in the forehead and knocking him out. With because the it, handle. Yeah, with yeah. like the hilt or whatever. And then Dewey falls down the steps like an idiot. And then it cuts to the phone call, maybe. Then he makes the phone yeah. call. Okay. Yeah. So then it makes sense sure. because Courtney Cox has the voice changer. So he could have grabbed the voice changer off Courtney Cox at that point. Sure. It's just not clear. It's what? a hot mess. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. And here's the thing about the Scream movies. Because at this point, Sydney's roughly like R.A. Right. Like how many people would I die for that I went to high school with right now in my life? People I have maintained friends with? A few. People I like have two. not seen since high school? Zero. Zero. I mean, I haven't seen them since college, since that one time they came to town and a killer murdered all my friends. 
So I mean, like, how close are we to these people to be like, oh, I gotta get on LA. So and so got murdered. I'd be like, mm. man, it sounds like you guys are in some shit. Hope you get out of it. Exactly. See you next summer. <laughs> Never <laughs> change. Like if a killer called me and be like, your friends live if you come there. I'm like, oh, that's obviously a trap. Good thing I'm at a police station. Yeah, I know, the killer's right? at this address with two hostages. Which friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Paige, I have one of your co-hosts prisoner. And if you don't come here, I'm going to murder them. Which, Which one? one? Yeah. <laughs> it's Armando. <laughs> oh, she'd well, go for he's Mondo. Probably, yeah. She'd, well, I, I'd Mondo's go for Mondo. bigger than most people, though. Like, Mondo probably can fight most people, you know, probably safe. This is probably a prank call. Probably. It's probably Mondo who's putting it on. Mondo's there safely jumping off of ladders. Yeah. Jumping off of ladders (laughs) onto the killer. And he's like, no, dog, it's all good. I got it. Like, if someone was like, I've got Todd. If you don't, if you come, he's safe. I'd be like, well, like, what if I, what do do I get if I, if I go there? (laughs) What are you going to? What are you going to give me? We're going to take off a layer every 15 minutes until you get here. You monsters! (laughs) Why would I want to see him naked? Like, why would I show up? I don't don't understand. Well, that's why you got to show up quick, because you don't want to see him naked. Yeah, exactly. You'd have to hurry and get there real quick, or you're going to have to see me naked, I'm just not going to come at all, you know? it's just like And the bottom layer is just Vaseline, so he's squirrely. Yeah, that's a defense mechanism. That way, if they ever get me out on my layers, I can wriggle away from them. Yeah, exactly. He just sweats Vaseline. Oh my, God. <laughs> my body self lubricates. <laughs> I mean, technically it's true, but like I don't like the way you say it. <laughs> like, as, as someone who that is true for, I don't like it. You guys ever work out and work up a really good petroleum jelly layer? <laughs> you guys ever work out and work up a real good goop? <laughs> Oh, gonna make you goop, baby. (laughs) So she goes to the house and the phone rings. She has to metal detector herself. Now she does something really smart where she runs the metal detector over her leg. And he's like, show me the gun, throw it out. And she actually has two guns and just only one. The same ankle is fucking smart. Dude, Sydney is a badass. Like, I love her as a final girl. She is really, really smart. Yeah, she's super smart. Love it. Uh, so she sees Dewey and Gale tied up, then has the second gun, shoots him a few times, uh, but then she goes to untie them and he gets up and leaves. So she goes after him with the gun. Yeah. So Kincaid shows up. Oh, and pulls a gun on her. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, and it makes mean, like a weird, like, I've got a fart face while he's looking at her. <laughs> it's because she just shot the killer and you assume is dead, but of course he's not. Right. And the killer has gone. And then Kincaid runs around the corner where the killer would have gone yes. holding a gun. And then there's like a standoff moment where they're like, put your gun down, put your gun down. And eventually Kincaid puts his gun down. They gets her to put her gun down. And then they sort of talk for a second. And then the killer comes and attacks Kincaid. Right. He gets stabbed. Yeah. You think you'd call for backup being that like four people have just been murdered in the house. Exactly. Uh, So she takes off running after shooting at Ghostface, but it doesn't matter. She takes off running from Ghostface and she finds like a light under a cabinet, like a secret door. Yeah. So she pulls a book. She gets through. She's hearing her mom's voice, which I think is just in her head. You think it's in her head, but then they're playing one of her movies, her mom's movies, when they get there. Because she finds that hidden screening room or whatever. Right. And of course, Ghostface is already there. Yeah. And at this point, he removes his 
Ghostface mask to be like Roman, Roman Bridger, director and brother. <laughs> I did love this. I, I thought it was great. And they have like a true sibling fight. Like she didn't know she had a brother, but she treats him like a brother immediately because he's all like mom didn't love me and didn't want me or whatever. And she only yeah, loved she never you. acknowledged so me. I'm going to kill you because mom never loved me enough or whatever. And she's like, no, you killed everybody. Fuck you. And then they just have this best, the best sibling fight. <laughs> Well, and and he's like, I'm a director, Sid. I direct, basically. Well, and because he explains how he manipulated the first two killers into killing her mother and then her friend. Right. I hated it more that they tried to t- tie it into the first one. Hated it more. I loved it because it was so outlandish and stupid. I was like, hell yeah. I love it. Well, and he goes on to be like, your mom was attacked in this room, essentially. Like, yeah. That, like, that's the significance of this room. And by all accounts... He was probably conceived in that room. I was going to say that. He should have gone on to say that this is where I was conceived out of hate or whatever. Why? And like, I would just be like, why? why? Who? Like, I, I know that this <laughs> was hard for everyone, but like, you're just kind of overreacting to all this. Here. Well, that's sort of yeah. what she says. She's like, you need to take responsibility for what you've done. Yeah. And yeah. then she gives him the chair. Yeah. <laughs> which by the way and they they start fighting like physically fighting yes. and like kicking each other in the face and she cracks like a restaurant full of chairs over his head yeah like i mean chair after chair after chair she's like an ikea's worth of chairs yeah but they were ikea chairs so they were unfortunately not effective as weapons yeah yeah they break very easily yeah yeah she has like 15 chairs 13 allen wrenches Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really did like that she gets the knife away from him and he gets Kincaid's like little two shooter pistol or whatever. Dillinger. Oh, the Dillinger. Yeah, yeah, it is a Dillinger. Mm-hmm. You're right. And she goes, did you lose something? And he goes, no, I found something. And then he shoots her. I was like, oh, I really like that wordplay exchange. That was good. I thought for sure he was going to reveal that it was a prop gun somehow. But my favorite <laughs> is that he at one point just holds up his hands and like, and has like two extra knives like spider-man like he's got bowie knife canisters in his wrists that's when he's chasing around courtney cox and dewey but he very much like assassin's creeds out a knife (laughs) i was like hell yeah i love this this movie's insane Uh, and he shoots her it looks like he shoots her in the face but he doesn't no he shoots her once in the stomach and once in the chest yeah yeah Yeah, just like two shots in the chest yeah so she gets behind the bar and gets the ice pick oh i fucking love this because she just like when he was shot she like gets away and he's like where'd she go so he tries to call her cell phone and as she grabs the ice pick like and he's dialing her number she calls his phone and his phone starts to ring and he's like what and then he she stabs him in the back with the ice pick a bunch well twice because then they get on the ground and they're like fighting or whatever it's actually three times well she doesn't stab him the third time until the very end and he goes yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was making a movie and she goes oh yeah stab three stab three Ugh. and then stabs him the third time in the heart loved it so Dewey and Gail get there and she says it was Roman the whole time the director and I was like again a person you just met you should be like I don't know who the fuck this guy was I just stabbed him to death <laughs> but he, he said, said he was my, he was brother. my brother but yeah. that's also weird <laughs> this, I never heard anything about this And of, of course the killer gets up one more time Dewey fires like five shots into his chest Before they yell to f- shoot him in the head 
Yeah. They finally do. And he's down. We cut back to Sid's house and she's like closing the gate. It's like the same shot from before when she was like showing how she was like secluded from the world. But she then goes in her front door. She has a very cute dog. And she doesn't set the the code. Exactly. Then the door swings open and she's like, I've dealt with my PTSD. We're going to watch this movie with the door open. And then he's like, why would we not? Why, why would, would we not, not shut the door? the door? Humans don't oh, like do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also Dewey and Courtney Cox get engaged. Right. Get engaged, yeah. which is really weird. And, and that's, that's the movie. movie. Let me just say this really quick. If I asked Detective McDreamy what movie we were watching and he goes, you're just going to have to come see. I'd have been like, fuck you. This is my house. What movie are we watching? <laughs> yes. No, he's like, that's the name. You're oh, just going to have to come see. My bad. My bad. That's on me. Honestly, that's a mistake. So having seen the movie, having talked about the movie, what did you guys think about Scream 3? I mean, it's hot garbage, but it was fun to talk about. I love it. I am not <laughs> saying it is not hot garbage. It is hot garbage. I just love how bad it is. And I, I love Parker Posey. She's amazing. I did not like it. I didn't like talking about it. I didn't like the movie. I was just like, oh. For a, th- a franchise that is so like, oh, we're like good hard. This is, you know, it's, oh God, it's terrible. I love that they leaned hard into the comedy on this one. Like it's, there are sort of jumpy moments, but they're not really scary. And it really is just a hilarious fucking movie. Like I am on board for this. But Paige, you have some fun facts for us? I do. I do have some fun Hit facts. Hit us with your fun facts. Screen three, three fun, fun facts. facts. So let's start out with what went wrong. Everything, Paige. So Everything much. went wrong. So much. Uh, Kevin Williamson, who wrote the first Scream and the second one, couldn't return for the third one due to scheduling conflicts because huh. at the time he was writing Dawson's Creek and The Faculty, which I think you guys have done The Faculties, right? We yes. have, yes. Yeah. I would do a whole podcast on Dawson's Creek if you guys are available. I've never seen The Creek, so we could do The Creek version if you wanted to. I don't have, like, emotional tie to The Creek. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, Halloween H2O, which ends up filming in the same house as this movie for the third <laughs> what? act. What? Okay, awesome. Yeah, but a year earlier. Okay, okay. And uh, Teaching Mrs. Tingle... So he's doing all of that while this is in pre-production and production. But he does write an outline for the film. So like he sketches out what the story should be. But they hire another writer to basically fill out the screen, the, the actual screenplay. Uh, that writer's name is Aaron Kruger. Wait, really? Yes. He just wrote the new Top Gun. What? That's unfortunate. And that makes me upset. Let me make sure it's the same guy. Oh, no, I just looked it up. It is. Yeah. Oh, Screen shit. 3 was his fourth movie that he ever wrote. He actually wrote The Ring as well. I didn't realize that. He wrote a bunch of Transformers movies and Top Gun Maverick. Well, that checks out. Well, yeah, but also Ghost in the Shell that people really didn't like and Brothers Grimm and a couple other things that people didn't really like. He's written a lot of things that a lot of people don't like. Well, including this movie because he uh, allegedly completely threw out the outline and his script was mostly written on the fly with pages usually completed the day they were to be filmed. Um, Oh, my God. He only had about six weeks total to write the script. I mean, I buy that. Understandably, he did not finish. Yeah. Um, And the characters bore so little resemblance to the prior films because he hadn't seen the films. He was like (laughs) watching them as he was writing it. Um, But it was so out of character that Wes Craven had to do rewrites to try and make it match earlier films. Oh, wow. Yes. And that's also where Wes Craven ends up filming three different endings, but didn't tell the cast which one he was going to use. Yeah. And at one point, he was potentially even going to play John Milton. What? That would have been been cool. Yeah. 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 I wish they had shown us all three endings like Clue. Yeah. That would have been really funny. Yes. 
Now, Courtney Cox and David Arquette do get married right before this movie, so that's why they're tan. They had just gotten back from their honeymoon. <laughs> Patrick Dempsey was hired the day before shooting began and had to learn all of his lines in one night. That does not at all surprise me, but yeah. This is Scott Foley's first film. Scott Foley? Roman the director. director. Oh my God. Are you serious? Yeah, this was his first film. I mean, I've seen him in a bunch of other stuff, so he went on to be sort of famous, but... Oh, I find him extremely attractive. I was really bummed that he was the killer. That's <laughs> wild. Okay. Neve Campbell's contract only allowed her to be on set for 20 days. What? Yes, which is why Sydney has less screen time than in the other films. In fact, she had so little screen time, they had to reduce her role, which is why Gail and Dewey become the main characters of this movie. Yeah. She literally, she could not even film for a full three weeks. That's crazy. So they had to shoot around her schedule. Yeah, and it's because she was shooting uh, both Drowning Mona and Party of Five at the time. Ah, okay. Um, and because her character in Drowning Mona had long streaked hair, she had to wear a wig to play Sydney through this entire movie, and it required two hours of application time every morning. Oh, God. So even that three weeks was reduced for like how much she could actually film. That's nuts. Okay. So uh, Roman Bridger director... Uh, complains that he had to make a horror film before he was allowed to make a classic love story. And that's because Wes Craven wrote that in because he had to agree to do this movie before he was allowed to make the musical drama music of the heart. Oh, wow. That's awesome. (laughs) Yep. Uh, This film never had a public test screening. Cast and crew were the only people to see the finished product literally at the premiere because people were so afraid of spoilers because this was, you know, the internet was kind of new yeah. as far as like spoilers and stuff went. The website for this movie was actually a fake website for Sunrise Studios, the company that's making Stab 3. Nice, okay. Essentially. Um, you'll probably cover this in box office a little bit, but this movie set a record in the number of screens it opened on yeah. in the U.S. at the time, at 3,467. Uh, that was not broken until uh, two years later uh, with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone coming in at 3,762. Yeah. Um, throughout the movie, all of the actors and actresses complain about rewrites and multiple different scripts, and this is because this was happening on the actual set, and so Wes Craven wrote it into the script. I feel like they just ad-libbed this movie and like gave that dude writing credit. Like- yeah, basically. Um, the publicity stills of Maureen Prescott, basically the, f- the photos they find are actually old modeling photos of Lynn McRee, the actress who portrayed adult oh, Maureen cool. in the earlier films. Awesome. Oh, yeah, cool. that's pretty cool. Uh, Leah Schreiber insisted that Cotton Weary should remove his jacket in the opening sequence because Schreiber had been working out a lot of the time and wanted to show <laughs> off his physique. Yeah. <laughs> that is the easiest thing to believe. I love that so much. So uh, the scene where they're running through the sets and film set replicas of locations from the original Scream uh, wasn't present in the script. But Wes Craven paid extra to have the sets constructed, knowing that he wanted to visit the original film in some manner. So he had them build sets that he didn't have a plan for. Oh, wow. (laughs) Basically just build them. And then they just filmed that scene of her running around them. After they constructed the sets, they wrote the scene around it and then filmed a couple other scenes around those sets to get use of them. That's nuts. Yeah. Detective Kincaid is included in the climax of the movie after the producer's 
saw an original like cut like an early early cut and we're like wait a second he disappeared in the third act and his arc went nowhere otherwise yes well i mean and they literally just knock him out of the beginning of that fight and he does not wake up until the very director's dead yeah kate hudson was actually originally cast in jenny mccarthy's role but she was replaced before principal photography started um however It was so close to the start of principal photography that it's actually listed in Kate Hudson's credits on the back cover of the VHS box of Desert Blue, which was the role that she was basically playing right before this. It's unclear where who she was supposed to be because the script was still changing at the time. Yeah. But suspected that it was Jenny McCarthy's role. Okay. Those are your fun facts. Thank you for those fun facts. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk some box office. So what do you think the production budget for Scream 3 was in 2000? I will have to recuse myself. So, Mikey, what do you think? Thirty million. You're close. It's actually forty million dollars, which, uh. if you adjust for inflation, would be sixty-five point three million dollars. But again, in the year two thousand, it was forty million dollars. So, this movie came out on February fourth, two thousand. It was number one for its first two weeks. In its third week, it fell to the sixth movie. And as Paige said, when it opened, it was on three thousand four hundred sixty-seven theaters. Oh, and other movies the weekend it opened. Number two was The Hurricane. Number three was Stuart Little. Number four was Next Friday, and five was Eye of the Beholder. What do you think Scream 3 brought in the weekend of February 4th, 2000? 16 million. Paige, do you know or do you have to recuse yourself? I have to recuse myself as well. All right. So, it actually brought in $34 million. $34.7 million. The Hurricane, the number two movie that weekend, brought in $4.9 million. (laughs) So, it beat the next movie by almost 30 million dollars yeah that's pretty crazy so what do you think this movie screen three went on to make domestically well at least 150 i think it yeah. was in the theater for 20 weeks total but what do you think it made domestically i'm gonna say 168 million okay still going 150 all right so it actually made 89.1 million dollars Domestically, but then 72.7 internationally for Page, very close with your 68 guess or 168 million guess. It was 161.8 million dollars. Nice. Yeah, so it did very, very well, as the Scream movies tend to do. But if you adjust that for inflation, that's roughly $264.2 million. But that is your box office. All right, uh, scary scale. Scale of 1 to 10, how scary we found the film. Our one example is Ghostbusters. Our 10 example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think I know where we're going on this one. Oh, yeah. Paige says... One. It's a one for me as well, dog. That is a also a one for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a one's That's all around. Scale. Yeah. So <laughs> this week you guys made me watch Scream 3. What are you guys making me watch next week? Next week is a listener request. Oh, that's right. And the listener request this month was nuts. Over 195 movies were suggested. We whittled that down to the top four. And they were Malignant, Seven, Banshee Chapter, and Psycho. And you all selected your winner as Malignant. So next week, your homework is to watch Malignant and then listen to the episode on it. So, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? No. So... While Mikey's looking one up, let me tell you guys how you can have your review run of the podcast, and that is to leave us a five-star text review, and we'll have Mikey read it for you. So, Mikey, whose review you going to read this week? I'm going to review MacDM. You're going to review a review? That is actually something I'm I'd read love to see. I'm going to read MacDM's <laughs> review. Yeah, what does MacDM have to say? They say, great show. I've been listening for a while, oh, but nice. had to leave a review after the, this last episode. Great show. I laugh out loud every episode. Five oh, why, stars. thank you. 
And I can oh, tell yay. by when this review came in that the last episode was Gonjiam Haunted Asylum. So if you haven't listened to that bonkers episode, please do. It's hilarious. So Mac DM, thank you so much for that awesome review. And if you want to have Mikey read your review, leave us a five-star review. This episode brought to you by Nick B. Nick B. Fun fact. Oh, yeah? He only wears 100% cotton. <laughs> Just like some other prank phone callers I know. This episode <laughs> also brought to you by Tia. And maybe, Mikey, while we're doing this, you might want to have the mic close to your face. Nick B. Fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. I want people to know. Shit. I want people to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you noticed. Because I'm just sitting here talking. I know. That's so funny. This episode also brought to you by Tia, and Tia's teenager is driving her crazy this week. And let me tell you how Tia's teenager is driving oh, her crazy. I had a good one, too. Fuck. Oh, did you? Is it that yeah. Tia's teenager doesn't know that if she's not close to the mic, it does not pick up her voice very well? No, mine was Tia's teenager took a white van, drove across the country <laughs> to L.A. with a videotape of her dead brother, and it showed <laughs> possible victims of a mass shooter. I mean, stabber. Stabber. Yeah. Okay. Well, Tia's teenager i'm maybe cool with all that shit all right this episode also brought to you by the number jeff and jeff wants you to check out his podcast kissing jessica jones where each week they break down an episode of the jessica jones netflix marvel tv show and the agent carter series so check out kissing jessica jones on any of your favorite podcast apps this episode's also brought to you by jonathan and jonathan wants us to watch some spooky spider videos so mikey are you ready i'm ready i don't get as freaked out as Paige. i don't think about videos well we'll find out this is called spider above my bed oh that's my favorite poem <laughs> uh that's a joyce that's a joyce poem right yeah james joyce uh-huh oh no i don't see it i do it is like th there's a fan going over it so it's like hard for the camera to focus on it but that that fucking spider is huge. You, you can't see it, Mikey? All I see is a black screen. Oh, my God, Mikey, it's huge. That spider is definitely packing vitamin water. <laughs> you're, the, you're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it. You can't see it? No. Look at it. Oh, my God. Oh, I see it. Oh, my God. Mikey. I see it now. I see it now. That's really big. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. That spider is so big, you could claim it as a dependent on your taxes. That is insane. Look at it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, I can't. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for the, the support. But, uh, you know, don't love the spider videos. Just going to come out and say it. Don't love it. But thank you for making us do it week after week. We now return you to another episode of uh, The Patreonicals. I'm not going to lie to you. I prefer you don't. I don't remember what happened last episode. I find that very easy to believe. I think they were fighting on boats on the Lake Michigan or whatever. Whatever lake is by Chicago. Our heroes wake up. They all took a nap while they were fighting on Lake Michigan or whatever. They're sh they were shipwrecked. It was like one of those things where like they get fades out and then fades back in. They're all like getting up on the shore. So Kate, okay. Dave, Amy, Scott, who was like picking people up because he's made of rocks. And then uh, Wes is yelling at them from his shoulder. He's doing, <laughs> if they're not breathing, he just holds them to his shoulder and Wes does mouth to mouth. Oh, I honestly love that. Love it for Wes. <laughs> I also love that Wes's rock lips are like pursed against someone who's not breathing's mouth. And uh, Danielle, Aaron, the, the Mun people, the last of the Muns, uh, they are holding Kaylee because she is recovering from her most evil Matthew being very abusive emotionally, physically, and all the way. And <laughs> all of the ways you can truly be the most evil. 
he bought her a cat. Oh, I don't like where this is going. I mean, it sounds sweet up front, but I know it's going to get dark. This is a story that came out later. Yeah. He bought her a cat. She fell in love with it. She was like, oh, yeah. my God, Matthew, Matthew, thank you for buying me this cat. Yeah, cats are great. I've got five. And then when, when she like didn't do the dishes the right way, he slaughtered the cat and put it in her bed. Oh, I hate everything about what you just said. You just murdered a fictional cat. Terrible, Mikey. I, I didn't. Most evil Mikey. <laughs> Most, Most evil, evil Mikey Matthew. is right. <laughs> Most evil Mikey is right. <laughs> he did it. Okay. Shining Donut. Uh, some had collected bodies, and he was, you know, he he's just a guy in a donut costume. So they were like on top of him, like an inner tube, and they, right. they came to shore. So then all of a sudden they hear a loudspeaker, and Dreskel, the head of the Illuminati, is like, "Hey." Y'all motherfuckers are about to die. <laughs> I love I love how straight to the point Dreskel is. Hey, <laughs> you motherfuckers about to die. And the Mun people and Kaylee were like, we never signed up for this fight. We just want to, you know, we're done. We're done with this. We just want to like retire. Right. And um, uh, they there's a there's a pirate captain. There's a pirate ship. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> I love the There's realization. There's a pirate there. captain. I love that. And, that was uh, everything. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 a new character, Bruder, and he pirate captain Bruder, pirate captain Bruder, and he's very like paired on his shoulder, right, peg leg, like like traditional oh, pirate captain. Love it. So shining donut, which. That everybody wants to know his real name, and he won't tell him. He just says, "I'm a shining donut from Shining Donut, Mr. Shining Donuts," which is like the donut <laughs> store he would, would dress for. He is he is an employee of that establishment who they made uh-huh. like wear that uniform, and then the apocalypse happened, and everyone and died just, except for him. So he's like, "This is my lucky shining donut uniform. I can't take it off or all die." Mm-hmm. I love this backstory for him. He gets uh, Aaron, Danielle, and Kaylee, and they go, and they're like, "We're we're out of here," and they yep. get on the pirate ship with Bruder. And Bruder's like, if you're going to come aboard, you got to be part of my crew or whatever. And uh, they do it. They like they. All right. They they do it. And they then, sign uh, up. They're like, yes. They sign up for the crew. Yes. Hoist the mainsail or whatever pirates say. Uh-huh. And then so <laughs> from the sky, uh, the flying submarine flies by and then like people drop down. It's uh, Nathan and Joey. They're like they're basically like Team Rocket at this point in our in our story. <laughs> They got they've got they've got Sneaky Snake who talks, which is like the meow. That's right, kind of guy. I'm sorry, Sneaky Snake meows when he talks. No, no, but I mean, like Team Rocket, they had the cat. He's like the cat. But oh, he's okay. a snake. But instead of meowing, it goes kind of a yes. thing. Okay, I got you. I like that vibe. And then a giant, well, no, 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 like a really skinny, skinny dude drops down. And he like looks kind of, he just looks looks mean or whatever. He's like okay. really emaciated. I feel like, and he looks really mean. I feel like this is a long way to get to a joke to make fun of me. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm just trying to get through this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Kate is like, we're gonna fuck y'all up. Kate, very direct and to the point. I love it. Her and was it Dreskel? Uh huh. Yeah, I love it. Uh. And Scott comes next to her because they're like mm, the strongest ones. But then uh, Karun and Isaac are there and they're like, you know, Karun's all Wolverined out right now uh, for the loss of his baby egg. And then Isaac. Oh, yeah. I forgot about his baby egg. Really hates that. And this really skinny, emaciated guy who looks angry. He goes, my name is Mr. Rage Bomb. Oh, no. And uh, don't piss me off. And then they fight. They're like a big fight. Blah, 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 blah. 
and then uh, Mr. Raybomb's like, oh, and then Dave, like, he, like, has a stick, and he's, like, trying to, he, like, run towards Mr. Raybomb. He's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill somebody. And, Mr. and then Dave, like, stabs the guy with a stick that goes in, like, an inch, and, and then Mr. Ragebomb, he's like, you've done it now, and then he explodes. So he is just a bomb of rage. Yeah, he explodes, and that's we don't know what happens to everybody after that, I, except that you see Dave just totally like body parts fly everywhere. So he blows up like Tom in in this movie, like you just see his body explode. Yeah, yeah, and it's a big explosion. So we don't know what happened to everybody. All oh, right, um, but we do know that Jennifer with a PH also went on the pirate ship, and I forgot to mention that. Oh, uh, okay. And she wants to be on the. She just wants to live in the crow's nest, and she's like kind of being weird about it. Oh, so okay. she just climbed up there, and she's like the permanent lookout. Okay. Oh, I guess the PH part of her name stands for pirate hunter. Yes. Yes. You like what I did for you there, Mikey? I did like what you do. <laughs> I, I just got a whole idea where we're gonna go, and we're I gonna go towards Waterworld. I one hundred percent saw your face fucking light up when I said that. We're gonna we're gonna go Waterworld, so I can know what's gonna happen next episode. Find out next week if we have a special guest, Dennis Hopper, on the podcast. For our Waterworld Patreonicals on another episode of The Patreonicals. That's going to be it for us, you guys, on Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it ooky spooky. Yeah. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Scooby-Doo nerds.